Verse 1, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. And over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. This, then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king sought to set him over the whole realm. I just trust the Lord to bless his word. As we, you read on into that, you know, and we'll go into it in a bit more detail later, but the princes and the presidents got very jealous of Daniel, and their problem was they couldn't find any fault in him. And so what they did was they used the law of the Medes and Persians. And again, we'll talk about that more in a moment. And they used it to entrap Daniel. And because Daniel refused their change in their law, he was sent into the den of lions. Now in Daniel 6 and 16, it says, Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spoke and said to Daniel, Thy God, whom thy service continually, he will deliver thee. And so even in this pagan king, not only was there knowledge that Daniel was a good man, a trustworthy man, an honest man, but the God he served would be able to deliver him. And Daniel's a fascinating book, folks. It's a book obviously penned by Daniel and it was said that he was taken into Babylonian captivity in 605 BC. His ministry lasted the entire Babylonian exile and his last prophecy, which was made in 536 BC, was when he was in his 80s. Dragon, he was 83. Now his name means my God is judge. And we know that names weren't just given uh, because they're nice or because they were the name of some famous celebrity. They were given for a reason. And Daniel was given the name Daniel because it was going to show through his life that my God is judge. And it's significant that we remember this when we speak about Daniel. And you know something, the wonderful thing uh, and, and, uh, about Daniel is the book of Revelation, you could not properly interpret it without a general knowledge of the book of Daniel. And for me, this is where futurism falls down. You couldn't properly interpret the book of Revelation without a general knowledge of the book of Daniel. And so we know that this is definitely the inspired word of God. Now, Daniel is divided into two parts. The first part is chapters 1 to 6, and it tells us that these are the historicals, just talking about what happened uh, at that time in the Babylonian captivity. And then chapters 7 to 12 are what they call the apocalyptic or prophetic, prophetic chapters. And his book gives, an, gives us an account of his life. But in his life, as we've seen, Daniel means my God is judge. We see providential guidance. You know, all may have seemed lost to, to the children of Israel as they went into captivity and the children of Judah as they went into captivity. But you know something, when you read Daniel, you see the providential guidance. You see the, the awesome knowledge and miraculous power and wisdom of God. That even when his people had turned their back on him and even as we looked before, when God withdrew his hand of protection, his hand of blessing, even in captivity, 
God was preserving his people, keeping that remnant and blessing his people. We also see miraculous interventions and we see the mighty power of God working in him. And this tells us even today we serve the same God. He he is the same yesterday, today and forevermore. And the God who controlled everything in the lives of his people is the God who's controlling everything in our lives today. And you mightn't think that when you look through your own eyes. When you look at the world today and as they in their time looked at the world, they might have thought, well, why is God in control? But he was in control. And God is in control today. And we need not to lose sight of this. We spoke last week about we need to turn everything over to God, our lives, our church, our land. Sometimes we try to, to do it in our own strength. We try to do it in our own wisdom. But you know something? We need to surrender everything to God. And this is what Daniel did and and other mighty men and women in the Bible, what they did because they knew of the providential guidance. They knew of the miraculous interventions. They weren't just fables. They weren't just little bedtime stories that their parents told them. These were actual events that happened which encouraged God's people as they went through situations like captivity, as they went through situations like imprisonment and torture and even death. They knew that God was in control. And you know something, it's been proved down through history and we need to get that realization into our heads today that the, the mightiest of kings, the mightiest of peoples, the mightiest of empires, they're all subject unto God's plan and God's will. And you look at all the great armies and all the great empires down through history. They've come and they've gone, but the word of the Lord has endured forever and God's people are still here. He still has his remnant and he's still watching over them. And you know, Daniel tells us of three, I would suggest, uh, of the um, uh, mightiest, mightiest miracles in the Bible. There was the deliverance of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace, and you see that in Daniel 3. And that was beyond miraculous, wasn't it? It's beyond, no one can, can reason that out because they refused to, to obey by the ungodly laws that were being enforced on them. And they were quite prepared to go into the, 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 the furnace. And the furnace was that hot that it said that some of the soldiers who were casting them in were even burnt themselves. And yet when they were cast in, they seen a fourth figure in the fire and we know it was Jesus was with them. When they brought them out of the fire, there wasn't even the, the smell of smoldering uh, fire on their clothing. And we've seen how God turned the plans of their enemies back on their enemies when they were all thrown into the fire on their behalf. Then we see the insanity and restoration of Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 4. But as we read today, we see Daniel's deliverance in the lion's den in Daniel 6. Now, as I said, <coughs> Darius, like all kings, he had to delegate. He was wise enough to know that he couldn't do everything. Excuse me. And so what he did was he sat out 120 princes or presidents over his kingdom to help him rule. And so the people, the whatever division or whatever country or whatever part of the city or kingdom they were given, each prince and each president was responsible and the people were responsible to them and they were responsible to the king. Three of them were brought out uh, and again, these 120, they, sorry, they came to them first and then they went to Darius. Daniel was one of them. 
In Daniel 6 and 3, as we read, it said, Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Daniel was going to be second in command. Such was the trust that Darius had in him. And this is a wonderful testimony. A wonderful testimony. In the midst of what Daniel and the people were going through, the king recognized in Daniel a spirit, an honest spirit, a trustworthy spirit, a reliable spirit, a man who trusted in his God and would not compromise. And because of that, indeed, he set him second command in his kingdom. And it's like Joseph. When Pharaoh seen Joseph and all that Joseph had done and God's hand upon Joseph and Joseph's honesty and Joseph's integrity, he became second in command in Egypt. And we know that that saved the children of Israel during the time of famine. And this shows us yet again God's will and God's plan in the darkest of situations. No matter where God's people are, God is watching over them and God will work out a way. But because of this uh, likeness that uh, Darius had for Daniel or this preference he had for him over the others, they became jealous of Daniel. They became so jealous and you know something? It's so true and we, we need to control any spirit of jealousy we, we, we may harbor because a jealous spirit becomes a spirit of hatred. And it develops into a spirit of bloodshed, which is an intense desire to destroy or to kill a man. And they were jealous to this extent. But how could they entrap him? Because they, they, it says they could not find, so they tried. We kind of read over that and think, well, they know he's honest enough. And, but I would suggest they could have even tried to find some way to entrap Daniel, but they couldn't. Such was this man's integrity. But you know something? The only way they realized that they could catch him was to use his love for God and God's law. And this is very relevant for us to hear today. They used his love for God and God's law. Again, we, we said it's a wonderful testimony that Darius recognized the, the godliness of Daniel. But you know something, it's an even greater testimony when enemies recognize godly people and know there's nothing they can do to, to take them off God's plan or God's will. And that's a wonderful, and I would suggest a better testimony that when those who are trying to thwart the move of God and the word of God and the people of God recognize a child of God as a child of God, someone that they cannot corrupt no matter what they do, or they cannot take off the path no matter what they do. And so the only way they could do it was to use the law of the Medes and Persians. And they used it to conflict with the law of the Lord. And therefore, they knew through this they could entrap Daniel. They knew Daniel, Daniel wouldn't compromise. And you know, church, it's, you know, the, for me, reading the Bible is like reading the news today, isn't it? They are using the law of the land to conflict with the law of the Lord. And many times this has been done when we were, and I would suggest, entrapped in Europe. Any United Kingdom laws, all they had to do was appeal to Europe and our laws were thrown away. And no matter what, so, you know, there are enemies know what to do and know how to change things. I told you last week about a, a meeting in uh, United, even the United Nations. And I found out that they were complaining about the African nations and their stance for what they believe. 
And all the, the, the homosexual lobbies or LGBTQI or all their lobbyists were given time to speak. But when it came to the uh, time of the Christian lobbyists to speak, they were told there was no time. And so they were using subtlety. They were using laws and this is what they did and, and this is what we need to learn. They're trying to change the laws in our land today. And they'll conflict with the laws of God and therefore, like Daniel, we have to stay with the word of God. We can't compromise it for me. And in all honesty, I think there's too much compromise. They want to take out prayer and teaching Christianity in schools. Yet they want other ungodly things taught in schools. Just look at the desecration of the Lord's day. And many people in the world actually know it's not still the Lord's day. And what about the corrupting of marriage in the home? All these are enshrined in our laws. Changing God's word all the time. You know, the thing that always amazed me is when I was young, back in the 70s, marriage was a bit of paper. Marriage was irrelevant. And we were told as teenagers, even by some teachers in casual chats, not taught from the front of the classroom, there's no need to get married. What do you need to get married for? It's just only a bit of paper. If you're living together, you love each other, what's the point in getting a wee bit of paper? And now today, marriage is so important that they're trying to enshrine into our law same-sex marriage. See how they change things, how they twist things for their own agendas. And it was the exact same with Daniel. Like Daniel, the world today wants to throw us at where figuratively God's people to the lions. And we need to make our stand. You see, Daniel and the people of Babylon at the time were told that they were to refrain from asking a petition from any god or man other than King Darius. And you know something? We need to note something here about Darius. He must have had a big ego because they knew what he wanted to hear. They went to him and they told him how wonderful he is and how all the nation and all the peoples that he conquered should be coming to him and not going to other gods. Massaging his ego. It made him feel so good about himself, so proud of himself, that he didn't know what he was doing. He didn't realize the paper he was signing. And church, don't let anyone massage your ego and take you away from God's word. Tell you how wonderful you are and how great you are. I always get suspicious when someone comes and says, you're doing great. I think, and? But Darius was, was captured by his well-known, or I would say his, his ego. And he wrote this down. And it says, when Daniel knew the decree had been signed, in 6 verse 10 it tells us, he went into his house and his windows being open. He wasn't hiding his windows being opened as they were before and as everyone seen him before and as everyone was standing waiting on him coming so that they can entrap him, he opened his windows in his chamber toward Jerusalem. He knelt down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did before time. And you know, think of it back in Babylon, there was a multiplicity of peoples. There was a multiplicity of gods. And every one of them adhered to Darius' decree. And 
just on Darius's decree, and I'm sure you all know anyway, but the law of the Medes and Persians, once it was made, it could not be changed, not even by the king. And that's what I mean, how they entrapped him with his ego into making this law, because they knew that when he realized what he had done, he'd try and change it, but he couldn't because of his admiration for Daniel. But think of the many peoples there, the many uh, pagan gods there, and yet every one of them, they prayed to Darius for 30 days. But Daniel took his stand because Darius was not Daniel's God. And he prayed to God and God alone. And the world church is not our God. And we don't turn to the world. We turn to God and we turn to God alone. And we listen to God and we listen to God alone. And because of that, God will bless us and God will keep us despite the dangers. In all likelihood, Daniel knew the plans of his enemies, but he refused not to take a stand for the Lord. No matter what it cost him, he was going to stand for the Lord. And you know, we have to kind of forget, as I've said many times, the, the old Sunday school book uh, pictures which we've seen of Daniel as a handsome young man. He was 83, they reckon, uh, when he stood before Darius. 83 years of age, an old man. And he was not critical. He was not complaining. He was still living by faith and still faithful to the Lord. No matter what, he was living by faith and he was faithful to the Lord. Can we say that about ourselves today? Are we living by faith and are we being faithful to the Lord? See, Daniel knew that God was in control. I would suggest he even knew that God had a plan for his life because he was brought from obscurity as a captive to second in command under Darius alone. And so he must have knew that God, well, being a godly man, he did know that God's hand was upon him and he was not going to turn his back on God. He was not discouraged by his situation. He was not put off by his situation. And let's face it, there wasn't many there to encourage him. He was on his own. And we know, uh, uh, just one commentator said that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were still alive and they would have fellowship with him. We don't know that. It doesn't say that, but I'll leave that to those that know. But we can certainly say that within power, within government, he was on his own. So there was no one there to encourage him, but there was plenty there to discourage him. But he didn't be discouraged. He was not put off, going from second in command, living a comfortable life, to being in a cell, waiting on the order to throw him into a den of lands. He was still loving the Lord. He was still confessing the Lord. And he was still serving his God. You know something? Faith in God throughout the Bible has got men and women in trouble with the word. And it's no different today. As it were, they want to cast us before the den of lands. Let me give you one example from today. The very, well, very famous, but I forget her name, the female swimmer from America who complained that a male, a six foot four male who identifies as a woman, uh, won the gold medal in the national championships. He was 500th or something in amongst the male swimmers. And when he decided he was a woman, he became number one. So she complained about this. And she was asked to come to a college to 
present her views. And she was attacked, physically attacked. Security guards had to protect her. And I'm not just talking about people pushing and shoving. They were trying to get her. And they had to lock her in a room. And even the police had to go in. They couldn't deliver her. And they had to negotiate to get her out. These agitators, these den of lions outside, wanting to destroy her because she stood up for what is right. That's what the world holds for us today. So no matter where our faith takes us and no matter where your faith will take you, let this truth be enshrined in your heart. As as Job said, let it be craven upon a rock with an iron pen. God is in control. God will be with you. Read your Bible when you go home. Paul, Peter, the apostles, when they they were before councils, God's wisdom was with them. They were astounded at these ordinary men and their wisdom. Absolutely astounded. Are these not fishermen, tax collectors, tent makers? But yet God was with them. Go through the Old Testament. There's many incidents I can give you. Esther comes to mind. And how the plan was to destroy God's people. And how God used her in her position. Because if the law had been passed, then she would have been one of the ones who had been killed. And I'm sure you can think of many more within the word of God. Many more men and women who were delivered. Who took a stand for faith. Whose life was in danger. But God intervened. Again, listen to the word of God in the book of Daniel. Then was the king exceeding glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no manner of hurt was found upon him. Why? Because he believed in his God. God turned things around completely. When they sought to destroy Daniel, they elevated Daniel. When they sought to destroy the Lord God and the opinion and the minds of the people and all their pagan gods, they elevated God. God turned it around. Because listen to Daniel 6.26. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. And his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall even be unto the end. What a testimony from a pagan of our God. Not even many men of God could have come off with a statement like that. The God of Daniel is the living God. The God of Daniel is steadfast forever. That, that means he is unchangeable. And not only is God unchangeable, but we need to realize God's plan is not unchangeable. God's will is not unchangeable. And he is a steadfast God forever. And his kingdom is that which shall not be destroyed. This is the the words of a man who destroyed other kingdoms. Who invaded many lands and destroyed their kingdoms and uh, split their people up. And took their riches But he's talking about the kingdom of God and it says it shall be even unto the end. God's kingdom is established, excuse me, and it will be unto the end. Again, you go into verses 27 and 28. And it said, speaking of God, again, Darius speaking, said, he delivereth and rescueth. He worketh signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. 
Who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. The recognition, because Daniel refused to compromise. Daniel refused to hide his faith. And Daniel glorified God. And God was exalted in that nation because again, we have an unbeliever, a pagan, whatever you want to call him, Darius, saying wonderful things about the deliverance of God, the rescuing of his people of God, the signs and wonders that God works and the deliverance from the, the lions. See, Daniel has one real stupid, uh, well, not say person, paper that I read, <laughs> tried to say that Daniel was like a, a lion whisperer and he was able to calm the lions down. What a load of rubbish. I'm sorry, whoever was wrote that, no harm to you, but that was rubbish. Do you know, if you read history, they didn't just bring three lions out and throw you in. They starved them for days. They were ready to eat each other, the lions, when someone was thrown in. They wanted to make sure because we are told that if a lion has been fed, it'll just lie down and sleep and deer or whatever can walk past it. And so these lions were starved. They were waiting patiently. They knew what was coming. It's like our wee dog, when we had her, she was deaf and blind, but she could hear the food bowl. And the minute you rattled that food bowl, she was up like, and never mind her arthritis or her bad hip, she was away at the food bowl. She knew it was feeding time. These lions knew it was feeding time. They were growling at the door waiting on Daniel coming in. But Darius said, God delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. God can silence your enemies, folks. They may be wanting to gnaw at the bone to destroy you, but if we remain faithful and true to God, God will deliver us. And you know something? When the enemies of God's people attack God's people, they attack God. And know what the word of God plainly says, I will turn it around and he did that on those who attacked and wanted to kill off Daniel. If you go back to verse 24, just as it was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the king commanded, and they brought those men which had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions. Them, their children, their wives, their lions had the mastery off them, and break all their bones in pieces, or wherever they came, at the bottom of the den. See, people try and attack God's people and God's word, but they tend to forget that when you do that, you're attacking God. What did the Lord tell Moses? When Moses was feeling like giving up and frustrated because everybody was complaining to him, he said, Moses, it's not you they're complaining about. It's me. And God's people learned that lesson. And the world many times, although that lesson has been gone, it don't seem to have learned anything. And so look, look folks, the world may be trying different things to silence God's word. And they may even use the laws of the land to silence God's word. But you know something? We need to stand, not militantly, not aggressively, but in love and in witness, restoring people to God, bringing light to people who are living in darkness, not looking their destruction. Don't be like James and John. Lord, send down the fire from heaven. 
Jesus didn't want that. He wants us to go out into the world, to go out into the lost, show them that what they have is broken cisterns, but we have is the well of salvation from which they'll never thirst. We have the fountain of life. We have the God of all mercy who gave himself on the cross for our sins. And that's a wonderful message to take into the world. And the sad thing is they don't know it. And that's why they're so aggressive and, and that's why they're so anti-Christian or anti-God. But you know, when we tell them about Jesus, the truth sets them free. And Jesus says, I am the truth. I am the life and I am the way. God, church, let's make our stand for God. As I say, we're not militants. We're not troublemakers. But you know something? We love the word of God. We love the revelation that God has given this church down through the years and the beliefs that he's shown us. And we'll continue to stand for them. Not to offend people, but just because we honor God and love him with all our hearts. Let's ask the praise team to come back.